and we're live. You're tuning into the Cosmic Children Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. And today I have a fascinating individual in the studio with me. I find it difficult to, to summarize what this individual has done in this professional career. And I believe I would do no justice in, in trying to introduce this individual. So Joshua, thank you hey. for your time. Welcome to the podcast. And could you please introduce yourself? <laughs> Hey everyone, I am Joshua Simon. I am 32 years old. I like sushi. Mm -hmm. I am a Gemini, mm -hmm. Aquarius Moon, Okay. Scorpio Rising, born June 12th. I'm half Indian, half Chinese. Mm -hmm. I'm a radio presenter, um, independent musician, podcast host. I'm newly single. Mm -hmm. I... Just recently moved out of my family's home. Congrats. Thank you. I am learning to cook nowadays. I am loving going to the gym now. I never used to like that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ever. And now I do. I recently conquered my fear of the water. I swim almost every day now because we have like a pool in the condo. Mm -hmm. um, and funny enough funnily enough mm -hmm. on the right here i was asking myself where am i in my life right now so like when you introduced me that way and you're like setting me up in that sense i was just like i that's that's kind of where i'm at right now do you have I, an answer to that I question i don't know i mean I, I i had to sit with that question with myself on the right here um and i decide to just shift it to just you know what i'm just gonna focus on where i am right now in my life which is i'm in a car on the way to do this podcast and i'm gonna just do that mm. and we'll see how that goes mm -hmm. and then after that i'll do something else and then that will be where i'm at in my life right now i think for me i have a a very anxious personality mm -hmm. and um i think a lot of things in my life are currently up in the air and the things that are a constant are new to me, like going to the gym and swimming and like moving out of my family's home and like living in a new apartment and stuff. So all that constant currently in my life are new. Mm. And then a lot of the things that used to be my constant have switched up a little bit. So mm -hmm. I think that's why the world feels a little bit topsy-turvy mm. for me right now and also because i wake up at like four in the morning for work so i think you, you've caught me like in the afternoon where i'm on my third coffee yeah right now yeah so so you're feeling a bit contemplative you have a lot of energy yeah i'm not not sure where to place it yeah but um it hi, sounds, thanks for having me on thank you for coming it sounds like you're in a season of change am, am, am i wrong to assume that no, sounds like everything is, is happening and yeah. you're just trying to find something new to yeah, absolutely right. And and I think it's also the change of whether or not I, I ought to trust that change. Mm. I have this thing where I'm not actually very superstitious, nor do I fully believe in the horoscope thing. It's okay. just like, it's a little in-joke among my friends, like mm -hmm. everyone's talking about their star signs. But yeah. um, I think anytime there's been like a major shift, right before it, I always have a dream about snakes. And okay. that's been the recurring thing since... Think when I used to go to Neon Poly, so like tertiary education period, I used to have these very bizarre dreams of snakes, and I am deeply terrified of snakes, like mm. my greatest fear. But a couple of days, a week after those dreams, which I'll remember, 
things will just completely change in my life. Important people in my life will step away. Um, people that uh, enter my life end up holding significance. Mm. Um, so the last time I had that dream, I was shifted from the night show to the morning show on mm. radio. And that changed a lot of things for me. Like schedules and everything else, yeah. And then also my partner and I broke up. So mm. it was just... Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so yeah, I, I'm in a I'm in a place right now where things have changed already and I'm starting to come down from the adrenaline and I'm trying to now figure out how much of this is real, mm-hmm. where am I in all this mix. So that's that's the Josh that you've got today. Wonderful. Um have you seen a snake in real life before? Have I seen snakes in real life? I have briefly mm-hmm. there was one time i went jogging around my family's home like the neighborhood yeah. and it's like a really harmless man-made looking park mm. where yeah they're real trees but they're manicured to a point where you don't know if it's like it, it doesn't feel raw or rustic enough mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um there are like swings everywhere um and i was jogging and i almost stepped on like a red serpent oh, it was like a really thin red serpent. <laughs> red serpent yeah and i almost stepped on it and i f- freaked out and i didn't step on it thank god but yep. then i was like, i never jog here ever again <laughs> um and another time when i was in ns when i was in the army yeah um i was jogging around safti camp so that's all the way in the west mm. um around just sort of the military camp one afternoon and I almost like i as i was jogging like yeah. a few feet from me there was like a slithering black serpent that oh, just God. like okay slid off into the grass yeah. i just remember that yeah um, and when I was a kid, when I was very, very young, I don't know how young I must have been, but it was one of those like church camps in Sentosa. And this was before Sentosa is what it is now, mm. where the whole like, is it manicure? Is yeah, it it's real? Like a resort is or it, whatever? Yeah. Right. Back then as a kid, I'm not sure if you remember, but there was the monorail, which was also really r- rickety. Yeah. Um, and a lot of colonial houses. So mm. we would stay in one of these colonial houses for church camp and mm. there was a black snake that they found. And this lady who was working at the cafeteria came out with a stick and then she managed to kill it. And then they disposed of it in the trash. It was a big black serpent. Sounds really graphic for someone yeah. to know this. Yeah. Also dramatic because yeah. Christianity serpents, <laughs> you know? So it was like- The story writes itself. Yeah. yeah the devil tried to. So, so I remember that as a kid. I Maybe mean, that was what informed my fear that and like, I think Christianity, right? Like mm-hmm. the very first story in the Bible. Yeah. So so what do you make of those streams? Like how, how do you understand it? Like it being such a constant in your life? I've Googled it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, I mean, we have we all have dreams. Most of them we don't remember. And the ones mm. that we do remember, we kind of like think about it for a bit and we let it go. But like when it's a recurring dream about snakes, I've had dreams about snakes where I'm holding a child and I have a husband mm. and there are all these snakes around me and we're trying to find a way out of the room. Like the entire floor is covered oh, in snakes man. and I'm okay. trying to save the kid, but I also want to protect my husband. And I would get bitten all over my leg um, like I remembered that dream till now. Um, but so I've read up about what those dreams mean. I think they can mean either I'm sexually deprived. <laughs> okay. Okay. Or major changes are happening in my life. So I think it's the mm. latter. Yeah. Like shedding its skin. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, and nothing ever kind of prepares you for it. It just happens, huh? 
you can only know when you look back. Yeah. 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 Well, I suppose now. you don't have any foresight into the future or like prescience or something. No. And I'm trying to um, make sense of that. Because I think when you're, we all start off from school, right? Mm-hmm. So we all have that thing to look up to that benchmark mm. like okay if you're in primary school there is the PSLE yeah. if you're in secondary school it's O levels if you're in JC it's A levels if you're you know like there's if you're in the army you think of ORD so there's always that thing mm-hmm. that you're working towards or that thing that you can anticipate I think once you're once you have a job and things are stable enough you don't know when those curveballs are going to come from mm-hmm what those swings are going to be like, how it's going to impact you, who it's going to involve. So I think that's been like my confusion, I think right now. So anytime I would have these dreams, it would just be like, but what would change in my life? Everything feels like a constant and then life like reminds me that I have no control. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And things just happen. And then I I just kind of have to deal with it. It feels like an underlying... I guess, level of uncertainty. Yeah. Because whatever you just mentioned in, in the school system or in the army or in whatever, there is a level of certainty because you have a goal to hit, yeah. to go to the next level. Even in games, you go to the next level. Mm-hmm. But I guess in adult life, it's it's generally a backload of uncertainty because you never know what might come up. You never know who in your inner circle might have some issues and it affects you. Yeah. And, yeah. and, it, and it happens in the most creative unexpected ways Mm -hmm. you know um someone that maybe you met once or twice or you could have checked in on them and then next moment they're gone Mm. precisely like gone gone yep you know um so so little things like that where where they they seem little at first and then then it happens and then you it becomes like a major wake-up call so yeah what are your thoughts on being present? Have you always been? Because I think you, you started off the conversation, oh, I'm at this place. Yeah. I'm on the cab. I'm trying to 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 look forward to this. Have you always uh, held this particular framework of being present? Or did you have to grow into it? Or did something happen that shifted your your particular perspective to, to yeah. being like this? There was, um, there was certainly a catalyst that led me to that awakening, I okay. think. Um. I think awakening would be the best way to describe it from my experience mm. because so I, a couple of years ago, I had like a really rough period mm. where I had to go to therapy um, because it felt like I could not open my eyes. Metaphorically. Physically as well. Interesting. Where I found like the tough days would be when I can, it feels like I am like peering through my day where I'm squinting through everything because my eyes feel very heavy. Mm. So that's when I would, that would be an indicator for me that, okay, that's a bad day for me. And I was having a lot of those bad days back to back where um, things just didn't feel exciting in my life anymore. Everything just started to have this sort of blanket of dread over it. And um, so I went to therapy and uh, I did this thing called EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Mm Um, and in almost like instantly I woke up in the present where I was conscious about where I was. I think before that I was living in my subconscious mm. for a lot of it. It's almost like I was sleepwalking. I think mm. that's the best way to 
um, explain what that feeling was like. I was sleepwalking and then I woke up and okay, like this is me now. And and I wanted to explore this because it was the first time I felt clarity in a very long time. So I booked a flight to Bali because it was, I think it was a Friday when that session happened. Mm. And I booked an impulsive flight to Bali and um, I sat in the pool in the morning. I woke up and I took all my clothes off and I just sat in the pool and the sunlight was just like shining through into the villa, right? Cause mm-hmm. you have your own pool in the villa. Mm-hmm. It's private, it's safe. And I had a beer in the morning. I don't like drinking. I don't like drinking, mm-hmm. um, but I was having a cigarette and a beer mm-hmm. and I was naked in the water. And I just started talking to myself. You know, I just started like, saying i think the first thing i must have said was i thanked myself i said like i want to thank you for still being here um just to even enjoy sunlight on the skin feeling the heat Mm -hmm. from the sunshine uh the water that cools everything Mm -hmm. and you got a cigarette and you're breathing it through and you can watch the exhale Mm -hmm. like and see like a physical exhale um and you're drinking some beer, you know? And I just started like crying my eyes out because I felt safe with myself. I think that was the first time where I felt like I could talk to myself where I felt like I could, um, like I could operate from an inner child mm-hmm. with a parental side of me also taking care of me. And I think... I think for so much of my life, I was relying on other people. I think I was relying on um, trying to find happiness by showing my parents that Mm. like, this is it, you know, Mm. I can provide for myself, you know, like I wasn't chasing things that were going to lead me down a path that you'd be disappointed with, you know, Um, or like in relationships, I wanted to obtain some trophy Mm. um example of a relationship so that i can say that i'm in a good place or in my career i would have hit all these accolades and and um um gather all this to create this legacy of mine to be able to say okay great now i've done that i've Mm. succeeded in that there was so much writing in all these different aspects of my life where i this time around i could just be naked in a pool Mm. you know and no one has to see it no one has to know about this and it was just me and I felt very safe with myself um so to your question about being present from that day onwards I started being a bit more I okay I wouldn't say a bit more but I started feeling present where even if I slip like earlier on in the cab I'm still able to talk to myself Mm. and parent myself and be a therapist to myself and try Mm. to save myself Um, because initially I thought, okay, after this transformative moment, my entire life will never be the same again. And I'll always be Mm. this new version of myself. But so much of my life has been lived with these bad habits, with um, these tendencies to behave a certain way. Um, And I think maybe that's why people meditate. Right. But um, I have been just trying to, remind myself that the anxious dependent wreck is still very much here mm-hmm. um but also the very strong josh is also here mm. um everything's within you 
Yeah. And I am also still figuring out how to navigate as one. Mm. Because there are some times where I feel like I'm more one than the other. And I make decisions from that side of me. What do you then mean by that? There are many times where if I'm not careful, Josh will just be this anxiety-ridden, crippled with fear mm-hmm. person going about his day, fucking up mm-hmm. and um, feeling lost. Um, and when you're in that space where you can't really open your eyes very much, it's tougher to remind yourself like, hey, this is not actually like all of you. Mm. There's more to you than what you're experiencing. Um, So there are some days where it's a little bit harder to tap into the other side of me. Um, So I'm still figuring that out. How do I have my balance? Mm. How has the journey been? Um, How has the journey been? I, I think the journey has been quite like, I'm grateful that I'm still on this journey. Mm. I think, yeah. um, I, 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 I did think that, um, I would have everything figured out and everything would be smooth sailing. You know, At I would, this age? I would really like that, you know? Um, but clearly it's not. And I don't know if I'll ever fully become that mm. or what would happen in my life if yep. I could suddenly just have total clarity and I'm always present because I mean I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts about people who preach about being conscious yep. and present like Eckhart Tolle is one yep. of them so like I listen to him every night mm. like with his podcast and audiobooks to help me sleep so I wake up to the power of now or new earth and, and just like the way he speaks he feels like he does no wrong <laughs> you know <laughs> like he never fucks up yeah. I can't imagine Eckhart Tolle eating a cheeseburger you know like mm. he's just always he has transcended oh, food yeah. Yeah. you know like he like and if he has a okay, great I'm happy for him you know um so I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm happy to be given a chance to to continue to figure it out. Mm. Um maybe one day I'll be like a really old man and I'll have every story in the world. And I, by that point I'll just be so sure of myself that I won't have any room for doubt. Do you think doubt could be helpful? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think um I, I think for me, with how I approach anything, I do so with a little bit of doubt. And I and it has always been a bit helpful for me because um, there are certain people in my life that are very sure mm. about who they are, what they want, mm-hmm. and they're very clear about it. And that has never really resonated with me because I think growing up as a curious kid, I would always be fascinated by another perspective, Mm. another angle of things Mm -hmm. um, where a circle is a circle, but I would be curious about people's interpretations of it being other than a circle. Mm -hmm. And I would very much entertain having that debate or going to something of yours that can show me that it's not a circle. Mm. Uh, And all that is from doubt. All that is from doubt. So it makes things very exciting and interesting mm-hmm. and it allows me to 
get along with people very well and adapt to whatever changes are around me but it has also led me to be very confused with all the changes and different perspectives and takes on things where I do end up asking myself where am I in my life mm. kind of circles back another another um <laughs> been talking a lot about circles yeah <laughs> circles snakes and where we are in our lives it's interesting correlation isn't it the Ouroboros Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We didn't plan to have this. This is the first time you and I are meeting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, from what you mentioned about uh, your experiences growing up with, I think, parents and I guess having uh, a lot of these external expectations, and you mentioning about that that experience you had in Bali, being by yourself. Yeah. It sounds a lot like an internal dialogue that you're having with the different parts of yourself. Yeah. I'm curious to know: Has there been something recently that? you had to unlearn and you realize that it's not working for you anymore? Wow. That's a great question. Something I've had to unlearn. Let me preface this conversation because what I realized that uh, growing up for the first maybe let's say 20 to 22 years of your life, you're just absorbing things. You are taking things from your parents, from your siblings, from yeah. school, from whoever. You are developing your voice, you're developing your identity. And past that, I feel that it's important to, to actually have a look at what you've picked up along the way, yeah, consciously or subconsciously, and come to a realization um, to see what actually works for you as an individual, because unfortunately through life, you you pick up things along the way, whether you want to or not, people place things on you. Yeah. So I'm just curious to know, having gone through your own journey, uh, being at this place right now, what have you unlearned recently that you realize, oh, this, this, this is not working for me anymore? I have actually been mentioning that um, quite a bit among my friends about how I mean, we just came off pride month mm-hmm. and the thing I was always saying was in order to unlock my pride, I had to unlearn my shame. So it's interesting that you brought up unlearning, um, but have I actually kept track of the things that I have been unlearning? I think more so I know what I'm trying to unlearn. I haven't unlearned a lot yet. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is just having to do to convince people that I am worthy of love or acceptance mm. or their time or their attention. And um, I think for a while I've been operating in the, I have to do as much as I can. If something doesn't feel right, I must do something about mm-hmm. it. If I'm not sure where I stand with someone, I better do something to infer, to clarify, mm. so that I can uh, make sense of what's happening. You know, um, And the thing that I've been trying to unlearn is that itself, mm. doing. And I realized that a lot of the doing comes from a lot of my ego wanting to say that I went and did all this so that we can have this harmonious life or whatever, mm. as if that is not something that they can also do, you know, like, so I'm, I'm constantly reminding myself like, okay, that person has my number as well. Mm. I've reached out and that person can also do the exact same thing. 
and I don't have to do as many things all the time. At least not until I know what my intentions are and my ego is not so much involved. So I've been trying to unlearn that habit where I just kind of like, like put my hands in my pocket. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm glad you're wearing something with pockets. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm unlearning also um, my perception of myself, my body right now. What with going to the gym so mm. much. I'm enjoying going to the gym. I'm really enjoying it. I, I, for, for a long time, it was going to the gym for the, so that I can look like this, mm. right? Or so I can lose weight and therefore look like this. And, yep. and right now with where I am with my mental health, like going to the gym has greatly helped my, my mental health. Like I wake up in the morning is the first thing I think about. And it's so strange to hear myself say that because I used to despise going mm, to the gym. Mm, mm. I used to hate gym culture. I used to get like really turned off by people who go to the gym yep. all the time. Um, and I love doing that right now because I put my headphones on. It's very meditative for me. I listen to a podcast and I lift some weights and, and I actually slow down every single rep and I feel the blood rush through my, my, my muscles. And you mm. can feel that as, as when things start to like, you got to really crunch through that last couple of reps. Yep. That is like a really nice feeling for me. Um, so that, and also even going back on Tinder right now, uh, I'm very attentive to how my personality is very anxious, right? So I'll be like, what did I say? Was that okay? Mm. I'm going to read it again. Was that the right thing I said? Mm, should I have not? So I do that back and forth and I have to stop myself and be like, you're great. You're beautiful. You know, like you want to be with someone who's excited to talk to you because you're excited to talk to them, right? It's the same thing you're offering them, mm. you know, but you need to like stop freaking out <laughs> and being so insecure because for a, a, a very long time as well, I was very insecure with how I looked because I think gay dating in Singapore, there are some tough parts about it being a brown skin, mm. large guy mm -hmm. as well where a lot of the first things I'm asked is like, what's my race? What's my One height? of the first things. Yeah. That's what's so strange. Height? What's my weight? Mm. Um, and it's culture okay. to do that. Okay. Right? Um, certain apps more than others. Yeah. But even on Tinder, you get a lot of people clarifying what their race are in mm -hmm. their profile because people always ask them about their race so they just kind of make it clear or they tell you the kind of race they're only interested in dating mm. and they kind of like shroud racism with preferences mm. prejudice with preferences yep. i yep. wouldn't say racist but um so for for a while i used to not feel good looking mm. where i felt to compensate for being brown skin i would have to have a really fit body or I would get compliments like you're pretty good looking for like an Indian oh, guy. Man. Okay. You know? Sounds so terrible. those things are I mean we're talking about unlearning things, right? Yeah. Those are things that I'm starting to unlearn as well. Cause like when I travel to the West, the adoration <laughs> I think I get very different feelings. It swings the other way. Completely the other yeah. way. And people that I would never in my wildest imaginations even find me worth saying hello to. Right. But that's, that's how pathetic I would approach things. I'd mm. be like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying hello to me, sir. Mm. 
was like, no. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm trying to reclaim that for myself where like, I, I am good looking, but I also don't have to like prove it to anyone, nor do, does it have to be sort of, um, because I'm good looking, therefore you must talk to me or therefore you must be with me or go on a date with me or whatever, you know, like, I, so I'm reclaiming that aspect. I'm like, okay, great. I'm good looking and that's it. Full stop. Yep. You know, and, and you're good looking yep. and, and they're good looking. She's good looking. Everyone's good looking. That's fine. Everyone be good looking. That's it. Done. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to like, weaponize it or, or find kind of, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned about going to the gym because I think one of the questions that I'm curious to ask you about mm -hmm. is your perspective on power and strength. Do you equate the two together? What do you think strength is today? What, what does strength and power look like to you? Um, right now in my life, strength shown to me, um, is through women, through women that you'd never expect to be able to tank through the amount of pain they mm -hmm. endure emotionally, mm -hmm. physically. Um, I have a friend who's a new mom. Mm -hmm. She's a very dear friend of mine. And the things that she has gone through with her body through this process of pregnancy and continuing to try to start a family absolutely floors me. Mm. I think as men, we are quite ignorant to how the pregnancy process is like and the mm. delivery process is like mm -hmm. and also taking care of a child and how tough it is financially as well and the effects it has on your body after mm. I was not Prepared. aware <laughs> of any of that because mm. I've only been sold the celebrity look I lost so much weight so fast and mm. now I can go straight back on tour mm. I didn't know what it was really like and what it's like also in the workplace mm -hmm. having to figure that out when you're pregnant or if you're pregnant again um, the double standard the yeah, so that to me is the lesson of strength that I'm getting right now. It's not from how much someone lifts. Um, it's through a lot of people that you would not expect that surge of strength to come from. And yet it happens so effortlessly, quietly, mm -hmm. without anyone watching. Um, so that's my lesson of strength right now. And when it comes to power, unfortunately, the the example of power that I'm getting right now in my life <laughs> is through people with positions of power who don't seem like they ought to have those positions or authority mm -hmm. to make those calls yet they're doing so. Because mm -hmm. I think as kids, we, we, you know, we look up to our parents, we look up to our teachers, the world with big eyes, mm -hmm. right? So we think we don't know. We're constantly told we don't know anything. We're, that's why we're in school. But the parents, the adults, the adults, they must know everything, right? And someday you go into the workplace and your boss will be the master of their craft. Mm. They are the greatest in this field that you're interested in. And then you you go into the workplace and then you realize, oh crap, I'm an adult. I'm an adult. And I don't think these people with positions of power know at all what they're doing. And I feel that way more and more now when it comes to politics pop culture when it comes to the workplace 
where you have a lot of people who are able to have the resources mm. to really make a difference to either reward incredibly talented, hardworking individuals, but are not. Um, yeah, I think that is the lesson of power that I'm getting right now where it's just like baffling mm. where I'm like, you should not have that kind of power. Why do you think that is? Because I think... Wow, I, I think it's um, people who accidentally got into that spot, mm -hmm. either because it was passed down to them, mm. and these fools meet other fools, <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> It's a company of fools, and yeah. like, uh, I'll give you a job too. <laughs> so and it's nepotism. They, they, and, and golf, they golf together. That's, that's the main culprit, golfing. Mm. So they go to golf together. And then they decide to give each other positions of power. Mm. And then you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And then um, they don't know what they're doing. So mm. they're just going to hire a bunch of people who are very capable. And they're under them. And these people are not getting creative fulfillment or the benefits to really shine. Mm. And then these people are now looking upwards going, I thought you guys were the masters of your craft. That's why I thought going into this field... Mm -mm. That, you know, so I think that's my car. I'm not to like, I'm not like insinuating or linking this to any specific aspect of my life that I'm yep. getting it right now. But I think across it, I'm getting that reaction yep. from it. Mm. Um, which is, which is fun. Fun. Because <laughs> it helps me to not take life too seriously, I mm. think. Because the alternative is to be completely lost by it, right? Lost in the sauce or just be a total nihilist about it? What that do you mean too, by that? Mm. That too, right? You can do the whole bagel thing with <laughs> being sucked into reference, a bagel, yeah. yep. right? So when I watched everything everywhere all at once, that was my feeling. I, I connected to Jobu mm. Tapaki because I was starting to feel with what I'm feeling about the world and sensing about the world when it comes to power and who has those power, who's been wielding those power, um, that power. I was trying to feel a bit nihilistic mm. about everything. And then I tried to soften a little bit because that was like the goal of the film. I think by the end was to show how love can like cut through. Um, and now I am kind of like, fuck it. <laughs> you know, this life is so silly. This world is so silly. And I, I, I do wonder if there is an alternative where, you know, there are some good people out there with positions of power and authority that are able to say, hey, we see it too. And we might be able to start a revolution. Um, so I'm intrigued. Currently just kind of like dicking around. Um, yeah. Do you feel like you would personally want to do something to shake up whatever you just mentioned? Do you feel like you have the, the agency or the resources to want to try something? That's like, that's a very interesting question, isn't it? Because it's like, if I had all the power, the money in the world, would I end up being the very thing that I fear and despise, right? Would I end up the villain, you know? Like, I'm curious as well. Because if we're talking about 
um, you know, earlier on being present and and having most of our lives spent a certain way mm-hmm. and how easily we can slip up because it's habitual. Um, if I were to be a multi-billionaire tomorrow and I'm able to go to all my friends who are feeling this exact same way, where they feel creatively unfulfilled, they want to do more, they deserve more, mm. but they're not able to do that because they're hitting the ceiling in whatever aspect they are in their life and I get to pull them out and do something with them and create with them, I wonder if I'll end up abusing it as well because that's all I've known, you know? That's one possibility. Well, there's, yeah. Yeah. It's one to consider. I don't know if I would want that kind of power, you know? Like I have this thing where um, my friends and I would sit around and we ask ourselves, like, if we were to strike the lottery tomorrow, right? What would you do? <laughs> what would we do? And the yeah. end... My answer has always been, I will book a flight, not from the money from that lottery ticket, from that, not from the wins, winnings. I would go to Japan first with what I have in my bank account. I wouldn't touch that money first, right? I'd go to Japan and just sit with myself for a while mm. and then figure out what do I want to do? Just like complete silence, no one interfering. And then I'll meet with a few good people and hear what they have to say and what they would do. Chances are I wouldn't actually spend a single cent until I know for sure. Because I think I'd be just too afraid to fuck it up. Mm. And you are... There's the possibility that you might be trapped. Yeah. Because you don't want to fuck up. Yeah. I I had a big paycheck once that came in in an actual check. Mm -hmm. And I was so afraid to touch it or use it. Interesting. So I kept it in a little plastic bag. Okay. <laughs> and I like hid it among a bunch of vinyl records. Okay. Because I just didn't know what to do with it. So I think if we go back to the power thing, if I had the power to do something like that, I don't know if I would do anything for a while. Because I think I would want to get it right. Because I think if I were to not get it right, it would completely destroy me. Mm. That begs the question, um, what is your relationship like with perfection? Um... I'm not someone who wants things to be perfect because I've existed from a very, I've existed from a body mm-hmm. that is riddled with imperfection. I have been existing also from a lot of insecurities and mm-hmm. self-esteem issues and mental health struggles. And a lot of the things I do gravitate towards are not perfect to begin with like a lot of the musicians that I love have very unique voices Mm. you know like one of my favorite artists right now MIA has a new album out and she can't really sing she can't really rap she's not a great lyricist Mm -hmm. but there's just something about her that makes her so different from anything anyone out there and I celebrate her for that Um, Björk is another artist that I continue to be mesmerized by not many people get it or her i do and um so so I, i'm not someone who adores perfection actually like really good looking people like <laughs> really successful people actually freak me out more than anything why i don't know if it only just brings out how alien i feel mm. um in contrast to them but um I don't know. I think I kind of like the whole rough around the edges kind of thing. I think, I think I've just always identified with the allure of and charm and hope of 
something rising from the areas that you least expect. What do you mean by that? I think from my religion, for example, and I think it may be ironic for some people who view Christianity as um, a religion that wants you to be perfect all the time, because it was preached to me that way for a while. Mm. But like, I don't go to church right now, but my faith in Christianity will never ever change because my belief stems from grace where I know God loves me regardless, fiercely, mm. regardless of how fucked up I can ever be. And that has been the template for how I try to love, you know? Um, so because of that, I've tried to shake off the whole perfection thing where a lot of the things that I find beautiful are things that I think people put down mm. or put, like, you know, just toss. Dismiss. Dismiss. Yeah. And those are the storylines in films or the characters, the underdog that I always relate to and I always root for, identify with it. Um, so, yeah. And I know I have some friends who do, are quite perfectionists in what they do and they're great at it. Like it's been a great attribute for them when it comes to their work ethic and they do like a lot of artists who are very curated um, and they look at them as the template of who I want to become mm. knowing that okay even if I don't make it there at least I'm on my way my skincare routine is there and, and I'm taking care of my skin and this is how I look at this age and it's working for them that's fine that freaks me out more like the pursuit of something like that yeah just for me, I think. Mm. I think I I would feel more comfortable if everyone was just like, fuck perfection, you know? That seems like a tall order because we're always taught to to pursue something. We're never taught to pursue the idea of ourselves or we're taught to put something in front of our eyes and chase it. We would topple society, <laughs> I think, if we embraced imperfections. Like truly, truly, if we were to do that, if we all did not care, mm about this concept of improvement and we just were or are, um, we would completely topple society and just look at like, why, why would you want to buy anything? Right? Precisely. How can you sell anyone anything without telling them that they lack mm. this? Not just with what they own, but with who they are. Like you lack this because your skin has a problem or you have a problem, mm. you know? I'm going to medicine even you know there's an issue with you and therefore you need to get this yep um these are the subconscious message messages that is being perpetuated yeah like yeah. i was i was passing by an ad i think a couple of days ago on the train about um how it's about hair regrowth mm -hmm. and how they say now you can look like a real man if you mm. take these pills and it's like, like insinuation yeah <laughs> yeah like 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 it Unless you regrow your hair, you're not going to be a real man because your masculinity takes a hit when mm. you cut your hair off like it's some Samson complex. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think if we all just really learn to shake off this concept of perfection, mm. we would actually change society quite a bit, right? I think even with where I am right now as an LGBTQ plus activist, um, I have been asking myself whether or not this fight 
for the traditional family, which is what has been coming up. Like even today, there's a film called Look At Me by Ken Kwek and Pam Ui, uh, Adrian Pang's in it. So that film today was announced that it's been banned in Singapore. Um, two of my songs are in this film. Mm-hmm. And the premise for the film is about a a pastor who preaches against homosexuality, but then is caught doing a whole bunch of stuff that contradicts mm. his teachings. And the film has been banned in Singapore because it has the potential to just stir things up okay. among people. Okay. I can understand that given how, what Singapore finds palatable. Mm. Bros uh, is a film that is not getting a wide release, even though it's a wide release everywhere else, right? Um, that's uh, the first LGBTQ plus uh, gay themed film backed mm. by a major studio. Um, and, and we've been getting a lot of that um, Vogue Singapore this week as well. Um, not getting their license renewed mm. um, because they're advised once again sternly to not promote um, homosexuality, transsexuality. I think that was the word they used and anything under alternative lifestyle mm. because they're always putting that against the traditional family or the idea of the traditional yeah. family yeah and what does that mean right is this the us freaking out about singapore's population like we want the population numbers to go up and mm-hmm. therefore this is the priority and they think that with more um visibility of lgbtq plus people that because of that straight people are now under th- like threat you know, yeah. like they're threatened by it. Like it's a very strange crusade. Yeah, like their <laughs> sexuality itself is yeah. threatened by it. Mm. You know, what is it? Is it the moral structure of what Singapore is supposed to be? Like the mock-up of it? Like what is it? Or is it because they believe that the perfect Singaporean is a certain type mm. where they get certain grades, they look a certain way, they experience certain things in their life, they're put on this sort of conveyor belt, the Stafford Wives conveyor belt. <laughs> and anything that is different from that, not only do we fear it, we scratch it out, mm. right? Because our stories are being scratched out. They're not being told here in Singapore. You know, like I think right now with the streaming services ab- able to have like a RuPaul's Drag Race on TV. Like when I was a teenager, we had to, I had to sneak in RuPaul's Drag Race DVDs from Malaysia. That's very gangster of you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like, it's really gangster of you. And I would like go with my dad, right? So even when we're sneaking it in, um, my dad would keep it and sneak it somewhere else because he would try to sneak all his action movies or whatever. <laughs> but I wouldn't want him to, I wouldn't want him to see RuPaul's Drag Race. So I would buy from a bunch of DVDs from a store and then I would take out the sleeve and the disc and put it and hide it inside another disc and another sleeve or throw away the sleeve and just put the disc in there um, just to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. That was the only way I could watch any kind of queer content because for a very long time, any kind of RA or R21 films mean you don't get a home release. Mm. So like in Singapore, you'll never find Kill Bill Volume 1. You'll find Volume 2, never find Volume 1 because it's been R21. So, um, now with streaming, you can very comfortably watch it on Netflix. Yep. You know, so we have representation there. But what about our own Singaporean mm-hmm. story? So that's why this Ken Quack film is very important because this film was made for Singapore, for Singaporeans as a mirror. But now it's doing very well in film festivals in the West, which is very ironic because mm-hmm. our image of what Singapore is is now only being shown outside. Mm. 
to other people, which does a great disservice to us actually improving as a culture in Singapore. Um, and despite the announcement of the repeal happening, we don't know how much of that is actually going to change things in Singapore. Oh dear. Yeah. So this is another example. Like all these stories follow what we thought was good news. Mm. Um, Cause I think, yeah, Singapore has this idea of like, this is the perfect type of Singaporean that we want to um, say represents our country. Yeah. Perfection. I'm curious to know, having been in Singapore for so long, how do you feel about it? Conflicted. I think for a very long time I've been conflicted. I think since I was uh, a, a young kid, I think also watching, growing up, watching all these Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, and learning how to speak through TV, mm. right? Um, I think a lot of my language uh, skills, I guess, came from just imitating people on TV. Yep. I would watch a, a film over and over and over and over again and I would memorize the lines and I would repeat it to myself and I would record it in a tape recorder and I'll play it back to myself and try to sound as much like the actor as like possible. Like the cadence and the tone. Yeah. Okay. And that's how I can pick up like all the different accents. Um, and what also happened subconsciously was I thought I was American. Mm, I thought I, yeah, I thought I was American. I thought I was Lizzie McGuire. I thought I was <laughs> Hannah Montana. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought I was Elle Woods. Yeah. That I'm supposed to go to America. Mm. That I was I was born in a, in a country that I don't belong in. And just like all these storylines, I will end up by the third act in New York City and my big break. So I always aspired to that. I never got that. And life instead gave me a very interesting path that I didn't expect. I ended up doing radio, which was not what I studied. I studied film because mm -hmm. I was not was in love with film, mm -hmm. right? Um, and through radio, I end up doing all these interviews with people that I look up to. That I never thought I would ever meet. Mm. Interviewing Hugh Jackman, Charlize Theron, Ryan Reynolds, Britney Spears, Katy Perry. These are people, these are names that are still, like they still have that allure mm -hmm. to them. Um, and it hasn't really sunk in that I've met them as people because when you actually meet them, they are people. Mm. They are people who eat food and shit. Yep. And are just here to promote a film. Yep. And it's a job, you know? There is the... Um, illusion, I guess, the theater of it, you know, the fantasy of a good storyline and film craft coming through and building something very exciting here, work of art, but it's also just a thing that they're doing and they're here to market the film and I'm now a tool to help them market the film. Yep. So um, that has shaken things a lot for me. And when I was in LA, um, right before the pandemic, it was that, oh my gosh, I'm in Hollywood. And it's a lot dirtier than no, I thought yeah. it was Definitely. going to be. Yeah. And there are a lot more homeless people <laughs> yep. than I thought it was going to be. Yep. And the homeless people are cute. Like a lot of them were like actors. Mm. A lot of them came here to be models and mm. actors. Mm. And they're very young and they're on the street. It's the side of LA you don't get to see. Yeah. yeah. And that freaks you out. Because I would have done the whole go to LA with $8 in my pocket kind of Madonna story, you mm. know? 
Like I would have done that. And I'm sure a lot of them did as well. Just like me, watch TV. You get sold a dream, basically. Sold that, traveled to, to LA or New York. And hustled. Yeah. Hustled, sacrificed, and ended up on the streets. And I and I hope that things change for them. You know, but it sucks you in like a like a like a black hole, like a whirlpool. Mm-hmm. Um and very few actually come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I think also just being gay, you get told that often, especially in the comment section, like go to America, right? Like all these- Like Singapore being, isn't for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like being gay is a Western thing. Mm-hmm. These are Western values. Don't come in. And we say that it's printed on the papers all the time, you know, like don't interfere. This is Singaporean culture. These are Asian values. These are Singaporean, like this is the Singaporean traditional family. Please do not invade it. You know, like taint it with your Western ideologies or modern times or whatever, you know, like yet somehow we are so quick to assimilate with the West when convenient or when yeah. we require any kind of help from them. You know, like Singapore wouldn't be where it is right now if it weren't for Western, uh, the West and the Western influence, right? But like being gay is not, has nothing to do with the West, you know, but the template of activism, the the coming out stories, the inspiring uh, examples of representation has come from the West for sure mm. because they've had their fight and their history and they have come, many of them have come up to say I am now proud of who I am and these are positive examples of who I am and it took a lot of brave people to distribute that because it wasn't that long ago that what we're feeling here was what was in the West as well. Mm-hmm. And then that made its way to Singapore and then that inspired many queer people who are have always been queer yep. to realize that, yeah, I'm not going to be quiet anymore. I'm going to put my foot down and say enough is enough. So that is the storyline. Um, so to answer your question, sorry to go on like super long tangent. Um, my relationship with sort of my nationality and what that means and what home is for me, right? Um, the way I kind of look at it is I will go when there's no reason for me to stay and nothing will ever want me to stay. Um, like I would not be able to stay. It has not reached that point yet. So far it's been, yes, a lot of things feel like it would be easier. Dating mm-hmm. someone, falling in love, mm-hmm. maybe people finding me cute or attractive mm-hmm. would be chances of, of that happening could be a lot easier mm-hmm. if I were to fly away. But there seems to be some work that needs to be done here. And I'm going to just do that for now. So I started the SG Boys podcast. It's an LGBTQ plus theme podcast. So that's something that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it's been helping some people. And it's also been a vessel for queer content to be promoted when other media outlets shut their doors mm-hmm. on them, like bros. I was the only person in the entire press screening it was a whole cinema and me sitting in the middle wow because it's an r21 film and free-to-air programming like newspapers and tv and magazines and stuff won't be able to cover a film like that Mm. when their publications are meant for the general masses of all ages so being a queer podcast host our platform was the only place this film could get any kind of marketing Mm. So this podcast is now serving that purpose. So I'm just going to do one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with the whole CPF thing and what that means for my life, I don't know what, how, whether or not that's going to shackle me to Singapore if at the age of 35 I go and get an HDB mm-hmm. or if it's a wiser thing to just take everything and leave, mm-hmm. which a lot of 
Singaporean queer people have done as well. Um, because they are just too tired to want to get into this fight. It kind of bogs you down, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing you want after being bogged down is to be shackled yeah. to it, where these are all my assets and it's tied to this country mm. where I know I can never be able to not just safely, but like comfortably, confidently hold my partner's hand and not just feel safe, but also be given the same kind of rights mm-hmm. as everyone else. Or respect even. And respect. Yeah. Yeah. Or do we have to now put ourselves through all these hurdles where if you are in the West, yes, you will also, it will, it will also not be utopia. It won't be paradise there, you know? I think that realization of going to LA and realizing things are also very dirty. Yes, there is also that shine. Mm. The Beverly Hills is like really, like I was in a hotel. I went down for a cigarette and Charlize Theron was in the lobby. And then in the elevator was Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> wow. And I didn't approach either of them because I was just like, this is probably like common mm. yep. at the Four Seasons yep. in Beverly Hills. Yep. A lot of them do stay at the hotel where they have a lot of these junkets and yep. press uh, events. So I just kind of pretended like this was normal. It's for casual me. for you, yeah. Yeah, but it was not, you know? Um, so there is the exciting aspect of America, but there's also still a lot of violence, yep. a lot of rough things that happened. I have friends who are currently living in Dallas, Texas, and they're thinking of moving to Singapore. Interesting. Because of how tough things are. Mm. Um, they were also in a neighborhood, I'm not sure, is it Minneapolis? Um, where it was sort of the center of a bunch of riots that happened and a lot of the neighborhoods destroyed. So mm. because of that, the it's just not been very safe over there. And suddenly Singapore represents that place where they can start a family it's as a, a straight couple. Of safety, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where, where like for them, it's like all we care about is getting married having a child and yep. we need a place that's safe. Yep. Singapore is that place for us now. Whereas on the flip side, I'm just like, we've been safe. Kind of. Too safe. <laughs> yeah, too safe. But as LGBT people, we feel like now we need to go to America yep. to have that life. So it's very interesting, the crisscrossing that's happening. How do you conceptualize it? Like you have friends over there wanting to come here yeah. while you, um, given the right circumstances, you will want to leave. How, yeah. how do you conceptualize that? It's it's interesting, right? Like, uh, what is the point of a passport anymore, right? If we could all just kind of open the doors and everyone just go where they need to go. I don't know if that's wishful thinking, but I imagine at the very, very beginning, it was that way where land was open, right? You could Pre-internet. look out. Pre-internet, pre-technology. Pre-us putting walls up where we could just look out into the distance Mm -hmm. and land is land Mm -hmm. and you can just walk. And that was how people went from one to another and and created their own little countries and nations. And then they realized we could have more and then they destroy others. And then land becomes this thing where we can start, you know, charging money, currency Mm -hmm. for it to own, even Mm -hmm. though you don't actually own you don't. The land, mm-hmm. just the idea of owning something, the belief that you own something, like a piece of paper, <laughs> like the earth is not going to listen to your piece of paper, you know? Like, um, But yeah, we created society from that. Uh, so I, I don't know if it will ever be able to go back to that, where we can just all leave our doors open, country to country, fly to wherever and stay wherever you want to stay because we're just like citizens of the world. I, that's just, I, I think, a bit of a stretch. Um, 
but um, maybe maybe someday I'll fly away. Do you yeah. believe in utopia? Uh, I don't think I like one of the reasons why I I don't trust this concept of like peace, like pure peace, like everyone holding hands together, and because I, I I think I've seen history has shown that we will try to destroy that concept mm. if we go close to it even you know perfection right mm -hmm. maybe utopia in my mind the belief of it is in my mind that is that it's perfection it's heaven on earth everyone's free everyone does what they want everyone's happy um but because we are not that we will find a way to destroy or politicize it or use it to weaponize it, use it way to destroy each other through it. Um, so that's why I, I think I don't trust that concept because I, I get, I'm so afraid of getting so close to it and then having that be pulled under me. So the mere fact that we are humans trying to create a sense of utopia, it's never going to happen. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I don't think so. Which goes back to then what's the point, mm. right? Like what's the point of all this? Um, can we just like I guess look at everything with a sense of humor hence what I said earlier at the start where I'm trying to like just like it's all so silly it really is so silly because it's also really simple right because like if you think about like treating each other better it should not be that hard mm -hmm. and we should have the resources if really we have like a unified goal of this is what we want like peace and respect for each other um, can we rewrite the laws and rewrite the rules so that we can all just be kinder to each other? Um, I actually believe we are capable of that, but because our ancestry of all that blood and violence is in us, that we won't be able to do that. We are all products of our history. Mm -hmm. Even the land where we, where, where, where we are in, I mean, everything is part of history and history has a very strange way of uh, channeling momentum towards something that nobody wants yeah 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 <laughs> did you at all think this is what we're going to talk about today no <laughs> yeah but i love it so um i want to talk about what have you learned you have done a lot of uh, press junkets you have done mm -hmm. a lot of radio and you have interviewed or you've spoken to these celebrities and all. i'm curious to know what have you learned from that um what have i learned i've learned that my love for interviews um, come from me being a catalyst. Say what you're doing right now. Usually I'm in your shoes. I know. Usually I'm the one who's asking questions. And what you're doing is you're a catalyst to this conversation, right? You are actually doing a lot of work in your mind. And I think it's a gift. I believe I have that gift as well. And I, <laughs> from this process realize that you have that gift as well where you are listening very intensely and also guiding the conversation you're leading us to where and what this podcast is right now this episode because we didn't plan to we didn't sit down <laughs> dear listener with a list of things that we're gonna tick we're gonna start Snakes with this and this, dreams this. yeah and <laughs> Even with how I responded, I, I when you asked me that first question, like to introduce myself, right? Um, 
I just kind of went where I felt my mind was taking me. And you were doing that with asking questions. So that's why I think it's a gift. Um, but you're a catalyst to it. And, and it's more important, actually, for me not to answer to you, but for me to answer to myself. Exactly. That's the thing that I've realized with doing all these interviews, that whenever I ask a question, I try to ask a question for the people that I'm interviewing so that they can hear themselves answer that question. Because then they know at that moment what they actually believe in mm -hmm. or it challenges them to, to ask themselves if that is true, what they believe in. And I'm sure there are many things in this episode that I've said that I would later contradict when talking about something else, mm -hmm. you know? And those are the things that when I listen back to this episode, I'll pick up and realize and then I'll reassess and then realize, okay, hmm, I see that. Let's see how I can do things a little bit differently. Um, so yeah, that's the thing I've I've enjoyed the most about interviews. When I watch these people that I interview process the question that I'm asking, say something, and then they're listening to themselves say it. And then they're hit with, huh, that is what I think. Huh, interesting. That was the last time I was at home. Mm. Oh yeah, that is my favorite food. You know, like I, I like that. And I, I like being a catalyst to that happening in that person's mind. It's like vocalizing your inner thoughts, right? Yeah. 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 I take a lot of enjoyment in that. And like, I would want you to feel that way about yourself being an interviewer on the show right now, where I didn't plan to have all these conversations today, but it's going to now shape the rest of my day. Mm. When this podcast stops recording, I'm going to go out to do whatever I want and, and hang out and meet whoever I want with the experience of having had this conversation that I may not have had if it was a different interviewer, you know? So that's the power of the interviewer. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for that craft that I feel is very underrated, um, especially in Singapore, where you don't have a lot of focus put on the interviewer. What does that mean? You look at the newspapers, right? Often we don't look at who is the writer behind the article that you're reading. You're mm. reading the headline and the tone, the structure of the article, the words used has very much been, you know, dictated from the start. Like this is the, the kind of language we want. Mm -hmm. Less opinion, more just give me what's happening mm -hmm. and that's it, punch out, mm -hmm. you know? And... It is very different in different parts of the world with journalism. And I'm sure there are some publications in Singapore where you do have a bit more freedom to express yourself and opinions and people will be able to remember like, yes, this is the person that wrote this article. Of course, even without looking at the name, just mm -hmm. by reading the article, I knew who was the one who wrote this article. Um, yeah, because I, yeah, I just have tremendous respect for, for journalism and what it actually is at the core. Interesting. Um... As a tangent to that, I am curious to know, what do you think is unexpected about your career thus far? What is unexpected? Or what has been unexpected? I went in with the boy who wanted to go overseas. Um, and... You know, earlier I shared about how I was also very dependent and, and hungry for um, the legacy that I want to create, mm -hmm. the success that I must have 
uh, the dependency I had on all these things and people. Um, I think what was unexpected for me was realizing that people are people and this job is just a job and cinema is a business. Mm-hmm. Film is also a business and the music industry is an industry. Um, and yes, there is art and art is real and art is powerful and fantasy can also be real, but it is also in human nature to put a price tag on that and edit art to make it sell. And if I'm going to enter this industry, I have to be aware of that. And I cannot go in with this bohemian mindset of we're here to create art, you know, and I can do that. But then if I want a paycheck as well, you know, I have to understand that my role is to market this film. Mm. You know, um, my role is to ensure tickets are sold because this is the chain and I have to be a part of it, you know. So that is, I think, the unexpected part where now if I were to look back at a lot of the films that changed my life, which I only viewed from rose-colored glasses, like mm. only viewed from this, oh, a god must have created this film. You know, everyone here is a star and everyone here is a, you know, like if if I look at it with that allure, now from where I am now, you know, and uh, I, which I think we, we do get a lot more now of where we get to look closer at like uh, what was the director doing mm. and the context of the film when it was created and the struggles to bring it to life and all that. You kind of peer open, so pull open the curtain of Oz and you see who's kind of operating the machine. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think that's just been my main thing that that was unexpected. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Um. Is it disappointing or is it frustrating to? Because it sounds as though that there is like a loss of innocence when regards to approaching art. There is that yeah. sense of wonder that's a bit lost because you are in the machine. You're you're part of the machine. You are producing music. Yeah. You're on radio. That the you are. Part of the business, really, and that 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 sense of wonder when it comes to uh, approaching art is is gone. I think it's humbling. Okay, I think it's humbling because another thing that I've also realized is when I wanted to be a star, right? Watching Disney Channel and all that, those dreams were dreamt, concocted at a period of time when I was a child. <laughs> like, let's not forget that a lot of the aspirations that we have that we sometimes even end up chained and shackled to, they were created when you were very young, when you didn't understand the world. And probably as a kid, when I saw Disney Channel and I decided I'm going to be a star, I'm going to go into the media industry and be a star. It was just because I needed friends. That's true. I just wanted friends. And I didn't come from a lot. So I saw these celebrities with a lot. Mm. And I thought if I can be like them, if they are the standard for me, then I can have that too. And I could never, I would never have to worry about friends. I would never have to worry about a relationship, or whatever, because like all these celebrities are beautiful. Somehow they'll magically pay for something that'll make me beautiful and I will have that life. Um, and that was all created at a very young age when I didn't understand the world. Mm-hmm. And now that I understand the unexpected, which was, oh, it is not like that. And I can understand why it's not like that. Um, it's shattered that dream 
that should have been shattered a very long time ago. And it's good that we shatter these dreams. I think it's great that we break our dreams down to its raw form and look at it and ask ourselves, what actually do you like from it? Because it just so happened that I can sing. It just so happened that I have the talent and tenacity in this field. Mm -hmm. But can I not just enjoy writing a song, singing the song to a bunch of friends, and then just tearing the lyrics and throwing it away? Mm. I did it. I sang, you know? So it's humbling. It's, it's, it's made me realize that the things I actually care about does not have to like only be successful when I win an Oscar mm. or an Emmy or Precisely. I get that. You know, so, so I think that's also the unexpected thing for me where it's been very humbling where a lot of the people that I put on pedestals, the same things I like about them, I can find from a busker on the street. Mm. Yeah. So, um, innocence, I don't know if it's sort of losing the innocence, but it's actually kind of a wake up call of like what the world actually is like and the focus that we put on celebrity culture and all that is actually like way overrated. And something that you have to look away from or to change your perspective on. Yeah. You have to like learn to see through it a little bit. Yeah. I really like what you said about um, kind of distilling down these careers and these dreams that we have because I think that is quite understated. I think especially in Singapore, mm -hmm. you're kind of expected to quote-unquote know what you're doing at like, say 18 or like yeah. past, past O levels or something. You go to a poly, you go take accounting or whatever and you're kind of soft-locked into that. Like you go to uni, you go to the school and I think going back to what we mentioned about uh, the... The, the career path of a Singaporean, like anything past, let's say if you drop out of a poly and you go do something else, yeah. that is kind of quote unquote frowned upon mm -hmm. because it is unconventional. Yeah. And that is less um, looked upon with favor as opposed to someone who goes through the system and gets that degree and gets to get a job in, in, in a corporation or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important for anyone listening to, to kind of identify and sort of sit with yourself to see why are you doing this? what's your career about actually yeah yeah because you have all the the the, the substance as of, of of music but yeah. it's actually important to distill down what is it about that thing you're doing that you actually like because you might not need the glitz and the glamour as you mentioned mm -hmm. yeah yeah and with all that said as clear as i may come across if you think that way of me um once again the habit and lived experience for me has been flawed. So I still get caught up in the, but I want my reputation to be this, this, this in the industry. But I've already done so much in my industry. So if I were to do something else and give it all, give it all up, what would that, what would my friends think? I still get faced with those questions. And that's why I have so much anxiety. But that's human. I, I want to believe that, mm -hmm. right? Um... But on like a day-to-day -day thing, it's still hard. And I'm still faced with, with that. Like right now, what are my priorities in my life? What are my priorities in my life? Mm -hmm. It is to pay rent because this apartment means so much to me. And I love it because it was designed by um, my ex-boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I live with my very close friend that I've known since Ami. Mm -hmm. He was the other gay guy. <laughs> and now we have a place where we can have friends over. We can talk to each other and take care of each other. Mm. Um, 
it so that's more than just a space. Yeah. More than that, yeah. you know? Um, so my apartment is more important to me than anything right now. And I want to enjoy it. And I want to pay my bills because I have things I need to clear. Mm-hmm. So those are my priorities. And um, whatever I do right now has to serve that. Mm-hmm. Then the other part of my brain is going, but wait, creative fulfillment. Wait, at this age, you're supposed to already do more and earn more. You should already be thinking about this, 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 and that. So that's also where a lot of the anxiety comes from, mm. right? Where I'm supposed to just focus on the priority, but I'm also thinking legacy as well again. I'm thinking of reputation. I'm thinking of my friends have progressed from this to this, you know, whereas if you were to chart my progress, am I going up? Am I going sideways? Is it okay to go mm. sideways? Mm. You know, um, and I guess with being single again and at the age of 32, as a queer person, there's also that fear. Fear. You're going to end up alone. Because also, you know, I guess being queer, not on top of being large and brown skin, now there's getting older. Mm-hmm. So all that fear <laughs> kicks in and that's what cripples me every single day, which was what we started this podcast episode about, you know, me asking myself, where am I in my life right now? I don't have an exact answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to look at all the things that I've learned, shake off the things that I've unlearned and figure out, I guess, am I doing the right thing right now? Or should I like, desperately make some changes because I'm going to be stuck on this path for a while. I don't know. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. In the flurry of all these things, um, what keeps you grounded? Doubt. Doubt keeps you grounded. Yeah. We're going back to circles and how things are connected. Um, Doubt feels like a very easy answer. Doubt is what grounds me because if it weren't for doubt, if I was ever like at a point of like feeling successful, I would have no doubt at all. Like, oh my gosh, I am successful. Without a shadow of doubt, I am beautiful. I am this, I'm I, I'm confident. Blah, blah, blah. Like even in my most confident state, I doubt my confidence. It's like, isn't that really paradoxical? Maybe. Yeah. Doubt just feels like the right word to say. Because I think that is what grounds me. It's like no matter what happens, there's still that level of doubt, which reminds me that it could be taken away. Mm. You know, it could also not change anything. So just be calm, I guess. So what remains at the end of the day, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since everything could be fleeting, success, happiness, everything. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's another word that's like doubt. Maybe it's the awareness that what you've obtained is not as important as well. Mm-hmm. Doubt just feels like the word that I know, but doubt, I'm also aware, has a level of fear attached to it. And I don't want to say that I'm always that fearful or say like that's what grounds me, a sense of fear. It's not healthy, I don't think, to be grounded by fear. It depends on how you're utilizing or using that fear. I've always felt that uh, there are very surface level uh, definitions of let's say what fear, uh, doubts, ego, what all these are. But mm-hmm. I've always felt that ultimately these things are still part of you. They are facets of you that uh, 
I like to believe will ultimately help you achieve or push you towards what you're meant to do yeah. at that particular point in time. Yeah. Yep. I think there's no point in in trying to uh be without fear. Yeah. To resist. Because I think it's ultimately a losing battle. Because it's in, it is internal. Yeah. It's not external. If if your fear is external, that's a different thing. But ultimately everything's internal. Yeah. No one can see what you're struggling because it's all in your head. Uh-huh. You are perceiving the different fa- uh, facets, however you want to do it. Yeah. So I think the easiest, at least how I perceive it, it's they're just different facets of me trying to push me towards uh, something greater. That's mm-hmm. what I believe. I think that's a very s- simplistic way of looking at it. But in that sense, you can have conversations with it. Why are you feeling like that? Why are you doing this? What is it that you actually want? Yeah. yeah it's like you try to personify, or at least I try to, pers- like Inside Out, mm-hmm. you know that, that show? Mm-hmm. A little bit like that. So when that show came out, I was like, huh, other people have the same idea or the, 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 the same uh, uh, concept. It's like, yeah. oh, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, because uh, because I'm I'm sure you realize as 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 you, as you listen to, to to people talk, um, some of the most successful directors or actors they suffer from imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and when I think about that, like someone of that stature is suffering from that, all the more someone like me like would would suffer from the same thing. Mm. So I feel like there's no point in in trying to eliminate it unless it is having an adverse effect on your life, and in that way you kind of have to take a look at it. Why is it? having an adverse effect. What is happening? What are you thinking? Are you spiraling down a certain uh, train of thought while there could be like 10 other trains of thought that you could think about? Yeah, I think that is really important. And I think it's it's an individual journey. Mm. There, there is no, um, there is no uh, what hard and fast rule about it. Every, some, like, like you mentioned about your experience in Bali, someone has to come to that place of synchronicity where everything's aligned just at one moment and you have that, huh, yeah. something's different. Yeah, that experience I haven't thought about in a while. That Bali moment, that I think should be what grounds me, because I went to therapy because I was suicidal, mm-hmm. and people didn't know that that I was serious about it, and. I had planned it out and I was dating someone briefly at that point who understood that there was nothing he could actually do except tell me to actively try to get help. Mm. So he was the one who said, please go see a therapist just before you do anything. I won't stop you, but please just go see a therapist. So I did. And that was um, the reason for that. So I, the thing, I think the Bali moment was very important for me when I said that the first things I said, when I, just to help you understand why I said, um, I'm grateful that I'm here to just enjoy the water was because by that point I would have, if I didn't go to therapy, I would not have been there. Mm-hmm. So, that moment in the pool was me saying something as simple as just enjoying sunshine and water, a cigarette, a beer, being completely naked, that having to do with no one, Mm -hmm. that not being sexualized or anything, just being as I was in that moment, just enjoy the moment. 
simple as that um, is enough. And the enough word is very key to that story where I don't need someone from here on to hold my hand because I will hold my hand all the way to the grave from mm. here on. Um, and that is a reminder to myself because I forget that moment sometimes. Uh, and I get caught up with the, all the other questions and things that I want for myself. And the most humbling example of it, I think, would be the fact that I would not be here right now if I didn't just try a little bit. Because actually, if I think about it, everything from here on is a bonus, right? Even feeling pain or anxiety is a bonus because mm. the alternative would be to not at all. Yep. Precisely. Um, so every piece of sushi that I enjoy, <laughs> every bit of stress that I get already is a blessing. I'm processing all this in real time, by the way. I'm not saying this in a, ah, oh, I, I see things now. I'm, 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 I am seeing things now. So I'm trying to, that was great. I think that was, the, that. I think that's the, 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 the journey we're all on, all on, isn't it? There is no one moment of transcendence because you would feel like you attain some level of insight, yeah. but the next day you're waking up and you're feeling the physical sensations. You're, 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 you're getting bombarded by emails and stuff like that. You're, you're brought back down a peg. Yes. It's this constant reminder that you are enough. At the end of the day, this this word enough is it's so nuanced. Mm. And depending on the tonality of how you're talking to yourself, how patient, how kind you are to yourself, it means so many things. Yeah, yeah. It's like the matrix. A little bit. Right? Yeah. Well, but you are the architect and you are Neo at the same time and you are the machines. You are everything. Yeah. Sorry, I just bring up Matrix only because like, I only recently watched The Matrix. The first one? <laughs> yeah. Or? Okay. Well, the sequels as well, which were dreadful. Yep. Um, but I only recently watched The Matrix in full with the brain that I have today because what, it came out 1998, 99? I was nine years old. Do you get nine, shit nine, on nine. by your friends that you just watched The Matrix? Oh, I get shit on by my friends for not watching a lot of films that <laughs> I think a lot of people have seen okay. that I have not. Okay. I mean, I've seen a lot of films that my friends have not seen. Yep. But The Matrix was one of those movies that I thought was going to be one of those mindless action movies. Okay. Um, okay. I knew the soundtrack had Prodigy on it and I really like Prodigy. Yep. But also because living through the 90s, early 2000s with the sequels and everything, they would replay scenes, iconic scenes from the Matrix movies so much that in my mind, I thought I'd seen it. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. Like the, the bullet dodging sequence yep. and all that. So yep. I was like, ah, I've, I've already seen all those scenes. What was the point of watching the movie that I did? And the philosophical- Did you like it? Loved it. I think the Matrix is in like my top 10 films now. Um, yeah. What but, did you take from it? I think it was way ahead of its time, way, way ahead of its time to have that film come out at a point where the internet was just starting to bubble up. We're not even talking about like where we are right now with um, augmented reality, mm -hmm. avatars, yep. um, that metaverse, right? Yep. But this Ready Player One view of the world where there's you and then there's the you that you create yep and then there's the currency that's not real and it's digital and we're living in it now but i i brought back the matrix in that sense where we can learn all these things about the machine but then we go to sleep 
we have a bunch of dreams about snakes. <laughs> and then we wake up in the Matrix. We wake up as Neo going to his office job and we forget mm-hmm. that we've seen through it already. Um, because the world looks so pretty and exciting and delicious. Um, and you're tempted by it and you have to be in it, you know? So it also depends on what the definition of world is. You could have the physical world, which is reality. We are sharing a space in reality, yeah. but we have different conceptions of the inner world. Yeah. And that is something that uh without the tech proper technology, no one would be able to tell or be able to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the matrix could exist on multiple planes uh at once. Yeah. Maybe. And then there's everything everywhere all at once, which I- is also shifting how I view the world. That movie was quite unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so brilliant as well. Yeah. On various fronts for me on a personal level, because I knew that this film would hit me. A couple of my friends were like, this is a very Josh movie. Okay. <laughs> and you enjoyed it. Yeah, thoroughly. It's, I mean, my favorite film of all time is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind followed by Lost in Translation. Mm-hmm. And it's a specific type of film, right? So that's is why it? my friends were like, oh, if you like those two movies, you're going to like... You know, Isn't it very different, the first two? Yeah, well, I mean, they actually... Funny, they both won Best Screenplay at the Oscars one year apart, 2003-2004. Mm-hmm. Um, different people worked on it, but a lot of people that connect with one end up connecting with the other. There's a lot of the themes of loneliness, grief... Um, feeling lost and trying to find a way to connect um so that film and her as well yeah there's like a line that connects these movies and then it uh everything ever all at once falls right into place with that as well that mood where like sci-fi and fantasy and reality Mm. like gut-wrenching reality all collide um so everything ever all at once i i didn't expect it to actually be that you know um but it was and it still is still like a recurring thought in my mind that the imagery from the film and and what it means and um i'm still kind of meditating on that film and also the experience of watching it as well who i watched it with who i tried to watch it with all Mm -hmm. that on a personal level represents something for me as well in my life what was your takeaway from that film um at various points after watching the film that has my answer has changed mm. right now it is the you know i talked about the dissatisfaction with where i am in my life right now and how things are different um and i remember i think that my last thought about the film was maybe like i would love to meet pilot josh because i'm very i'm very certain I'll never fly a plane mm. in my lifetime as human being number what, what, what in this world, I will never ever fly a plane and I'm okay with that. But I would have loved to have met pilot Josh. Mm. And if Josh had done things differently as a child, maybe he would be flying a plane. He also wouldn't be doing what he's doing right now, but that would be kind of cool to know that, that there could be another version of me doing that. Or there could me could be a version of me that stayed with that person in a relationship, mm. um, and if I could be everything everywhere all at once and take all that in, would I then feel fulfilled, or would I still be the same person 
or would I realize that none of it matters, the mm-hmm. roles that we play? Um, so that's my current thought about that, mm-hmm. applying it to my life. Before that, it was relating to Jobu Tabaki, where I felt like I was getting sucked into a bagel, mm-hmm. where really nothing matters anymore, and I don't care about this world anymore, and I felt drained by this world. And any kind of happy thing would just annoy me. Mm. Um, so I'm going through. That's the essence of a good <laughs> film, isn't it? It makes you think, even yeah. even months after you've watched it. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going through it all a little bit. When I was doing my research uh, for this particular podcast, one consistent true line uh, with all they have done is your voice. Mm. I am curious to know. Have you always felt this comfortable with your voice? No. Okay. What is the story of that? Because I found uh, videos dating back in 10 to 11 years, I think on YouTube, you singing. Yeah. And from singing to making music to uh, being in skits, uh, comedy videos to interviewing to podcasting. Holy shit. The consistent truth is your voice. How much do you research? Uh, A fair bit. Jeez, it makes me very, very. I've combed through all the podcasts that you have appeared on. <laughs> yeah. Shit! Wow, yeah. respect. Thank you. Respect. So, yeah, your voice. Have you? So you've you've never you've not always felt this comfortable. So, what's the story of that? I'm not still comfortable with my voice. Mm. Um, I used to wake up in the morning, five a.m. before going to school distinctively remember this being secondary school period um, where everyone had started breaking their voices, right? All the guys. And my voice was still high. And I would practice speaking with a very low voice. And I would go to school telling everyone that my voice just broke. Mm. And I would call the accent and try to sound like everyone else. The intonation, everything sound like this Mm. you know i will go to army talking like this because that was how everyone sounded yeah and then i realized that i was playing a character Mm. because everyone sounds like this so and i love acting maybe i can be like this because that's the easiest way to fit in with everyone yeah right code switching but i didn't really feel like i fit in as this josh Mm. Because I was deliberately doing this. Mm-hmm. And then by recess, things would change and then I would be myself and yeah. I would just be Josh again. And then I would mess up. Like, oh my crap. Yeah. Uh, after that, we have remedial. I hated my voice. And then I started singing and I started liking my voice. And I stumbled upon doing radio not because I was discovered for my voice as a radio DJ. I was actually, I was in Neon. I was studying film. I was mucking around the Masscom radio studio as a fun little thing because one of my friends that I was very close with, Steph, she was taking a radio radio module in Masscom. So I went and I pretended to be a radio DJ, once again acting. Mm-hmm. And I was just cracking jokes and and Mario who I think currently teaches at uh, um, Singapore Poly he used to be a DJ on Power 98 um, he heard me and he asked me to join Radio Heatwave which is a campus radio station 
And then from the Radio Heat Wave, after when I went into the army, he was the one who reached out and said like, hey, you should apply to maybe do Power 98 as part of your NS. Um, I ended up doing film for my NS. And then after that, he said, hey, SPH Media, they are looking for talent. You should." He never stopped looking out for me, mm. my teacher. That's and beautiful. Yeah. And he put in a good name, good word for me. And I ended up joining radio. And even on radio, I was very critical about my voice. Mm. I was like, was I, do I sound too feminine? Is the accent too much? I, I'm still not very clear what accent I have. Mm. I feel like it's a mixture of a little bit of everything. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the words like, you know, I talk about like watching shows and how that informed my speech. Mm. Like the first time I learned how to say guacamole was from a TV show. <laughs> Chances are yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I would practice that guacamole, guacamole over and over again. And then that became that. And I listened to how they speak, the flow. It's almost like singing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I notice a lot of singers know how to imitate voices as well. Because like when I hear people speak, or when I do the Singaporean accent, a specific type of Singaporean accent, to me is like singing. Because I'm bringing it to the style mm. of how they speak. Yep, yep. They ground words like that, you know? So... I feel like when I'm doing this right now, I'm actually singing to you. Interesting. That's 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 a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah. But when I just like relax and I'm just myself, this is how I sound. Yeah. So I would get very self-conscious about my voice and I still do. I still like, when I'm, when I'm feeling <laughs> sexy, for example, my voice changes, mm. you know? Like when I'm in that state with someone, my voice is different. When I'm, calm my voice is different when i'm happy my voice is different when i'm being sassy my voice is different my voice has been like a vessel for how i feel mm. at that point and it shifts and sometimes i i try to like ask myself who who am i because it gets sometimes a bit confusing because there are certain days when my voice is lower mm-hmm. there are certain days where i f- where there is a bit more masculinity, I guess, if there's a way to describe it in someone's voice. And there are certain times where it's a lot more floral. I don't know. (laughs) Where it's a lot more, you know? Like there are times when my my voice is like that. Mm. And then there are times where, where you will catch me on a day and my voice does not sound like what you're hearing right now. Subtle changes here and there. Is it about being comfortable with all these different yeah. facets of your voice? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, 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 to me, whatever comes out from my, my voice, like from that box, is uh, an expression of where I am right now. If I'm ang- when I'm very angry, like angry, angry, furious at someone, my voice is very low and I'm almost unrecognizable. And that's what scares me. And when, when I start to hear my voice dip and I raise my voice as angry Josh, it's a very different Josh. Very, very different. And I don't like being that that person. Um on the flip side, when I when my voice gets super high pitched and I'm super sassy, you know, it can be very entertaining, it can make a lot of people laugh, but I also sometimes forget who I am and I end up saying things that hurt people mm. when I'm in that state. Because there are times where I mouth off 
Yeah. And I will treat it like it's a show. Yep. And I'll be super dramatic and I'll be like, yeah, I'm like, oh my God. Like I will be that person. And the 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 things that I end up saying actually do end up hurting people. And then I, when I go back to just being Josh, I'll be like, I should not have become that person. Mm. So it's about balance. All this is say I'm a Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There you go. Weren't you the one who said that you don't believe in astrology? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet, somehow, I'm constantly told that, oh, I've got Gemini traits. I'm a, I'm a Gemini who's been to therapy. Let's put it that way. You have Gemini energy. Yes. Gotcha. Well taken care so, of. So, so what I find very curious is that you 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 put yourself out there as Joshua Simon. Mm. No aliases, no artist name. That is actually an alias, Joshua Simon. Speak more about that. Yeah. So my my ID is Simon Joshua. So okay. My my name is Joshua. Yeah. My dad's name is Simon. Gotcha. On my ID, it's Simon Joshua. My passport is Simon Joshua. Okay. It ends on an exhale, and it also was something where a lot of people would call me Simon, because they thought that's the name that came first, so that's my first name. Yep. Uh, it's the reverse. It's it's like Lee something. Mm. You know, Lee Jonathan. Yep. That's how it's written. I switched it to Jonathan Lee. So my name was Simon Joshua. I flip it around to Joshua Simon and I'm known that way more. I think when I was in secondary school and I wanted to create my alias as an artist in the future that I'm going to be this. Simon Joshua ends with an exhale. Simon Joshua. Mm. Right? It's very peaceful sounding. Whereas Joshua Simon ends in like a very firm kind of declaration of who I am. It felt stronger to say Joshua Simon than Simon Joshua. And I decided that from then on, I will be Joshua Simon. So it's a very loose, subtle alias to my name. This is a, a rearrangement of names. Gotcha. Yeah. I want to touch quickly on your music. Um, okay. I'm curious to know in your eyes, how has your music improved? Or how has your music <sighs> developed in your eyes? Has has, mm. has it uh, changed at all? Um, it hasn't improved. Mm. I don't think it has improved because my just based on my relationship with making music, I think my strongest work was in 2019 with my first album. I pumped in a lot of money and energy into that album. I worked with just a few people. A lot of the songs we made from scratch, every sound, every effect, every instrument laid on, carefully put together, every mix listened to and tuned in a certain way. And every song represented something. I was going through a lot during that dark period. The whole Bali thing was during that period. And the album goes from, it has a whole story from the track one to track 10, the genres shift. It was a very ambitious album, sonically, thematically. I was uh, writing an album about the night, about Mm -hmm. going into the night and getting sucked into the night Mm -hmm. and the different people I end up becoming and meeting. And I wrote in it uh, about sort of the thrills of it, but also how it can completely destroy you if you're not careful um so i wanted to write a night album because i was always up at night and i was always writing at night i was the most creative at night and i was the most heartbroken at night and lost at night and free and 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 um there was a lot of fire in me at night so i wrote that album and 
it doesn't have as much listeners as my newer stuff, which is a lot more colorful and pop. Mm. And they're currently still being played on the radio, the new stuff, not the 2019 one. But the 2019 one, for me, creating that will always be my memory of I was an artist. Not so much uh, I'm a celebrated musician or whatever. I'm an artist. I was creating art because I, I caught the shots mm. and I didn't care about the audience. I cared about what I wanted to create as a creator and I was collaborating with people and I wanted to present to the world this work of art that I created. And the ones who have listened to that album and they enjoy it or, um, you know, like I'm very happy it's been well received by them. Um, and then, also then realizing that I also had to spend a lot of money to put mm. this expensive hobby into practice. Um, I realized, okay, if I'm going to do music again, and it's also kind of where I'm at right now, I want to do something that people can enjoy and listen to that has, um, that I'm able to enjoy creating, but I'm also able to let go and understand that there are some incredible musicians out there that have that, to carry this whole burden of like what is art what is the music i'm supposed to sell and yep. you're able to do that go do that mm. you know i'm gonna little old singapore where i kind of have been hitting the ceiling where i've kind of realized that no matter how, how great your music is it's always going to somehow be stuck in singapore unfortunately mm. i am just going to enjoy the music process and put something out there that people can dance to and enjoy, but also secretly have things in there that only I will know, right? Like, um, so for example, like all I want to do was a song that was is like was the most colorful song. I think it might still be the most colorful song I've ever put out, mm -hmm. and it's like a dance heavy, um, diva sounding track where I'm larger than life, but I wrote it at a point where I was very anxiety written and I was starting to get a relapse of suicidal thoughts again. Mm. And I was constantly saying, all I want to do is disappear. So I thought it would be fun, kind of funny if I wrote like a really fun dance song and use that as the hook and no one sees it. No mm. one hears that I'm actually talking about suicide, but they are just enjoying the beat. So that's my amusement yeah. that I get from creating that song. Yeah. And the song's played on the radio. So I, I feel happy that I was able to create that illusion. And a lot of people still sing along to it. Yep. Without knowing. Without knowing yeah. actually exactly what I'm singing about. And if you read the lyrics, it's very clear. And then We Are Done, which I released last year. That one is a continuation of All I Want to Do, where it's even more dance heavy, more Euro dance. And it's a song about just sort of reminding yourself that we're done. Not we're not not directly to someone, but it was this, why am I freaking out over this? Why am I spending so much time obsessing over this one person or whatever? We're done. And this is a conversation with myself where mm. we cannot do this anymore. This is not healthy. I'm like, it's like a Abba Chikatita situation where I'm like consoling myself and taking care of myself and we are done. We can't do this anymore. It's mm. not healthy. Um, so that is me. That That's something that not many people will get when they listen to the song, but that's what it means to me. So if I can continue making music that is dressed a certain way, that can earn money 
so I don't lose money by creating these songs. Um, people can dance to it and have fun and I feel like in some way I'm able to contribute to the pop landscape here in Singapore <laughs> but as a creator I get to still have something in there that I know only I will understand then then I feel like okay great I've succeeded as a creator yep yeah then I'm able to balance out not just be one like this is my art that I puke out in front of you and therefore you must consume it so yeah I'm curious to know what does music mean to you because I've spoken to several musicians before on the podcast yeah. and I've heard answers from, oh, it's expression. It's a form of therapy or it's, it's, it's something I just practice and it's a very internal uh, uh, piece of art. So I'm curious to know, what does music mean to you? Oh, it's like um, music for me begins from the bone and then it's listened to from the skin if that makes any sense. I just it came up with that shit. no sense. Okay, so what I mean is there are only a bunch of chords. There are only a bunch of notes. And there are only a bunch of things that we do end up singing about. I can tell you a hundred million songs about heartbreak, about loss, about joy, about going to the club. Yep. You know? Um, but then we dress it up. And we dress it up and dress it up and dress it up. And then it's experienced from the skin. You know? You, you, you layer all these things. Um... And for me, that's been music for me, where a song can be about loneliness. Um, okay, I'll give you an example. So like, um, there's a song that I wrote from that album called Drive, where the original from the bone version of it is, I was in a car with my ex and I told my ex, we don't have to go to the airport or drop me off at the train station. We, you, we can just drive. We don't have to. I don't have to go back to Singapore. I don't have to, you know, I can just drive with you. We can just drive and everything will be okay. We'll figure it out. And I could have, as a creator, write a song just about that. But I dressed it up very vividly. I made it this cinematic piece where it's like 80s synth wave. Mm. And I tied it from my biblical roots to Sodom and Gomorrah mm. and the lyrics became don't look back right because someone in that story looked back and turned into a pill of salt mm -hmm. so don't look back we'll never see their faces again just drive you're born to be on the road with me it's us against the world so don't look back we'll never see their faces again just drive so that became the lyrics and then the production became this movie this 80s film where it's explosive and then two people in a car and it's Bonnie and Clyde meet Sodom and Gomorrah. So I dressed it up. So music is that for me. Music has always been exciting for me because it's a mixture of yesterday. It comes from a very raw and real place, the bone. But then we dress it up and it becomes this fantasy. And that's why I love music. I love that. Like I love Michael Jackson's music. But Michael Jackson's music is not exactly the Michael Jackson in real life. Mm. It's like this, you know? Like you don't see Michael going out to some girl and be like, "Hey, pretty baby," you know, like he's not gonna do that yep. really. But the joy of I, I feel for me, music is also the ability to create this fantasy and do so much more yep. with it. Where if you trace it, you will find the real, the real raw materials. But I think there's also a lot of joy of just having fun and not taking things too seriously and being yep. able to create this very lavish, cinematic, dramatic world on top of that. Because a lot of the artists I love are like that. Bjork is like that. Mm. You know? Michael Jackson's a Madonna is like that. A lot of the people that I grew up listening to, Janet, uh, a lot of them are like that. They took something, like Gaga, 
perfect example of that. Um, yeah. What has music taught you about yourself? Music has taught me... Hmm. What has it actually taught me about myself? What has it illuminated about yourself? Because as I said, if I look back videos, you were singing, you were performing, yeah. you were on the guitar. Yeah, even up to now. Wow. Um, I can't really pinpoint what it has taught me because it's taught me so much, mm -hmm. right? Because there's the creating music and then consuming music that teaches me different things. And then there's the feeling of, you know, like what a song means to you, which has also taught me certain things. Music has been like an accompaniment to my life, right? Um, I always have my headphones on. I've always been the guy with headphones on mm -hmm. since I was a kid. Um, it's helped me to process whatever I'm going through in life or escape from whatever I'm going through in life. And creating music has been like that as well. Mm -hmm. Process and also escaping. We were talking about like the dressing up thing. That's kind of like that, right? I, mm -hmm. It's escapism, I think. The life can be more than just what's in front of you. Beautiful. Yeah. As we wind down this conversation, I just have two more questions for sure. you. I'm curious to know, has there been an opinion of yours growing up that you had to change? Has there been an opinion about myself? Or has there been an opinion that you had that you had to change? Wow. I think if we jog through this episode itself, there's so many examples of that, right? My belief of the world, my perception of who I am that I've had to change. I think the main thing is that I'm here to like make some big impact in the world. Because like all the names that I mentioned, they've made a huge impact and they can quantify it in, mm -hmm. I guess, pop culture history. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was holding myself to that standard where I have to be Michael Jackson or Madonna or Britney, or, you know, like I, like I have to be that because if I'm talented too, like they are, and if I do the same things that they're doing, then I too can, you know, we're talking about legacy and all that again, I too can make an impact mm -hmm. in my life. Yeah. But legacy is a funny word to, to want to live up to because it's not, it's not something that what you can- What does it can, actually do, right? It's not something you can attain. It's something that's bestowed upon you. Yeah. <laughs> like we're, we're talking about that Van Gogh, Van Gogh painting yep. and how he didn't grow up with a lot. Yep. Yet it's valued at that amount of money. Yep. Or we talk about the dinosaur bones that are going to be on sale yep. for auction soon. Yep. And it's like $400 million. Yep. And I just imagine people holding like- if we're going to go back to like cavemen, a prehistoric era, I don't know if humans lived among dinosaurs, but like to be able to, like, hey, everyone, these are dinosaur bones, which is like sh shit. Like yeah. it's just an animal, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but then we value things a certain way. When you talk about land again and how we price that. Yeah. It's all warped. It's ultimately dependent on how you want to define yeah. what legacy is. Yeah. Which brings me to my last question. Sure. How would you define success right now? Um... The thing that I'm trying to practice, um, uh, which was the thing that I said at the start uh, of how I tried to calm myself down when I was in the car earlier about focus on being in the car mm -hmm. 
and going to do the podcast and focus on the podcast. The thing that I'm practicing right now is a thing that I learned recently about how the most important thing you'll ever do is what you're doing right now. That has been helping me um, when it comes to questions like what is success or where am I in my life? Mm. Um, being able to do what I'm doing in this moment right now successfully is success. So if I'm able to be on this podcast with you and I think it's going great, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, I'm enjoying the conversation um, and I hope you are too, listener, as well. Um, then that is success for me. Or if I'm able to eat something and not freak out over what I've eaten, that's success later. Or if I go on a date later on with that blind date, you know, and, and I'm just respectful and I'm not thinking about what this means with mm. this person. You know, I'm just able to like just go on a date, Enjoy get to this person. Yeah. It's a blind date. Be nice. That's it. You've got other things when you want to go to the gym, you know, enjoy time at the gym. That is success. I'm trying to just practice that and just narrow things down to the singular moment that I'm experiencing and ask myself, what is success in that moment? Mm. And actually realize it's very simple. It's like, oh, success in this podcast is just enjoy the podcast. Have a great time talking about things. Be truthful about what you're feeling. Be vulnerable. That is a successful podcast recording. You know, it's nothing to do with the release or the artwork or all the other things or the perception of what people have of me. Right now, it's just the recording. So just record. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. Um, before we end, is there anything else you would like to talk about? Um, if at any point you felt in this conversation that, gosh, this guy, Josh, sounds cute. He is single and you can DM him on Instagram. Very responsive. I'm half joking. <laughs> right away. It doesn't sound like you're joking. Is there a joking voice? Do I sound that desperate? You, you sound pretty truthful there. Shit. Not desperate, but truthful. Shit. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm 32 years old. All right. My friends are married. I have a lot to offer. I have CPF. Quite a lot of CPF, actually. Marriage is not the conclusion of a I relationship. Know. I yeah. know. We could take all that money. Leave Singapore. Yeah, go to Bali. Go to Bali, <laughs> buy a villa, and sit in the pool naked with a cigarette and a bottle of beer. This has actually just, just been an advertisement for you. <laughs> Once again, my head and all these grand illusions. Where can people find you apart from your Instagram? Is there anything you would like to promote? You can find me at Don Donkey. Okay. Which outlet? Which outlet? No, Vino. (laughs) (laughs) Or at cold storage. I'm perpetually at supermarkets because of all the cooking that I'm enjoying. Yeah. I'm always cooking. I'm always like buying stuff at the grocery store. I'm loving the heck out of that. Um, I live in that area right now. So I'm kind of always there. Like I I come off like I'm an extrovert, but actually once I finish the radio show, I kind of just stay home. Like if it weren't for this recording, I would have just stayed in my neighborhood or stayed in my home and Mm. just remained there just at the gym and swimming pool. Everything's like a stone's throw away. Yeah. Um, I haven't been going out much, so I am trying to put myself out there a bit more. Um, But yeah, I'm on Instagram mostly. Um, I think that's it. I think that's the main social media platform that I regularly use if you want to check out my music it's on spotify um my podcast is there as well it's called the sg boys it's a podcast for anyone to listen to we talk about loneliness in the queer community 
uh, going into the military as a queer person. We talked to some really cool celebrities on it as well, some allies of the community. We have Conan Gray, Mel C from the Spice Girls, um, some local um, stars as well, like Tanya Chua is on it. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. This has been a beautiful episode. Thank you for your time, Joshua. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.